This episode is brought to you by our generous sponsor, Cobalt Press. Cobalt Press' latest Kickstarter, The Southlands, is live now until December 31st. The Southlands features high adventure in a self-contained, standalone Egyptian-style setting. With all the tools at your fingertips for a dozen adventures and even full campaigns. Head on over to CritAcademy.com slash Press and check it out today. Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. And I will be filling in for Austin. This is your temporary co-host, Brandon. Thank you, Brandon, so much for filling in for Austin. Austin is sick, so I appreciate it. And uh, for those that aren't in the know, you will also be <laughs> be joining us in episode 200, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so I'm really excited uh, for yeah. that. Uh, yeah, that'll, be, that'll be great. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Uh, we want to thank you guys for joining us here today at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Yep, roles that's right. Okay, <laughs> sorry. You're fine. Hmm? Uh, <laughs> so we're really excited today. Um, we're going to be talking about the Dungeon Coaches Spell Tome Brew. I absolutely thought this was a fantastic idea. If you've not fallen, uh, uh, not following the Dungeon Coach. Please do so. His content's great. Um, our something that really has me excited, particularly aside from the, his main topic content in our unearth tips and tricks. We, <laughs> I am really, really excited to talk about this uh, this magic item, the gambler's chip. Um, I'll be introducing it to our game again soon, so I'm really excited for that. So stick around for that. Uh, but also, I want to let everyone know on December 4th, we are releasing Fantastic Terrain 2. It is the sequel to our biggest seller, our Fantastic Terrain. So make sure you keep an eye out for that. If you enjoy the show and you like to check out uh, our um, our content, head on over to CritAcademy.com. If you want to follow along in the sh- with the show notes, head on over to CritAcademy.com and click on the blog for uh, Spell Tone Brew um, and join us. Um, all right, so we always like to start every episode off with a let's talk about blank segment, kind of a, a news news thing or a question that we're answering. And I found a really cool article I want to talk about, and it's Tribality. it's from Tribality, and it's called How to Make Leveling Up a Narrative Tool. Now, I know that we've talked about this on the show in the past, and, and Brandon, I'd love to hear your experience because I know you're running a game for some families. So um, sometimes people just, you know, in MMOs and video games, you just ding and you level up in the middle of combat, right? Um, yeah, right. So the example they give here is kind of cool. It says, you have killed a dragon and gathered a certain amount of experience for doing so and level up just while uh, just while the lair of the dragon was in start uh, you were in starts to crumble and collapse the draconic sorcerer spreads her wings and begins to fly and you immediately turn to her and say uh why didn't you use that when we were fighting the dragon <laughs> um so i really like this idea because it talks about well first of all how do you, what do you guys think about the idea of just leveling up poof uh as soon as you get enough experience you killed the cobalt boom got enough experience um how does how do you, what do you guys think about that and 
game mechanics terms and narrative wise? I don't think it's inherently a bad idea. In fact, I think a good example of that was we were playing. I was one time playing a one shot, just a cipher system up down in DragonCon in Atlanta, and we could like uh, bank like plot points, if you will. That's normally used to like roll dice and give you bonuses. But if you saved enough of them, you could increase your base stats. Mm-hmm. And since my pre-generated character had was like one away from like uh, having his strengths were scapped I'm like capped I'm like I'm gonna save these up for something useful and by the time I did s- save up enough we were in like a, a combat encounter in the forest I was separated from the group I'm like y- you know what I have my built-in ability that's similar to like the uh sonar if you will from the alien movies so oh, I'll activate that that's the- cool. <laughs> they're all over us man <laughs> Why did you mention that? Because the, G- the GM was like, well, you activate it, and you almost immediately wish you did not, because it was almost, like, solid. <laughs> <laughs> it was a force full of spiders, including the 50-foot-tall queen. <laughs> That's cool. So and I, was like, and I was running away from the forest, and during that uh, me, me running away, I happened to get enough points to finally spend it to max my strength. <laughs> So I'm like, yeah. yep, that's right. My fear of spiders and me running away from them as hard as I can gave me the boost I needed to maximize my strength in the last second. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> what about you, Brandon? Oh, uh, when it comes to the whole, the whole uh, level ding thing, um, I've never seen a narrative in any video games. It's always, like you said, it's just that like pop and you're there. I think the closest mm-hmm. video game that ever came to it was Fable, mm-hmm. maybe. That was about it. Where you but, have to go back to the the guild to really level up and and spend your time fo- leveling your character, right? Yeah. But game wise, up until this point, I it's it's been like that. Mm-hmm. But my prior coworkers, the guys I run the game for now, um, whenever they level up, they they think of a way of how it's happening. Like uh, one of them is a warlock, and he just leveled up. And, and he told me his whole spiel on how he gained this new power from this book that he's reading uh, that he had found a, in a library. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, that's a lot better than just saying, oh, I know, <laughs> I know how to do this now. Right, right. Um, and, and I think that's a, that's a lot of what uh, Tribility is talking about here. Um, mm-hmm. Something I've played with in the past is only allowing people to level up on a short or long rest. Um and not immediately following combat between combat encounters. Um, I did finally decide that uh, the players the players I were with didn't actually like that, so I moved away from that. But I understand the benefits of a good night's rest and allowing your character to soak in what they've learned and having them, you know, um, evolve overnight and taking that knowledge that they've learned and, and quote-unquote leveling up. Um, it's definitely, uh, something that I haven't dealt with too much, but I, in my brain, that sounds way cooler than just dinging. I know Brandon just gave us a a fantastic (laughs) example. Um, for me as, would you guys think that if you were to do it from a narrative level, you would leave that to the DM or would you want to get the players involved? Like, uh, Brandon's character. Go away, dog. Like, uh, knee-jerk reaction is more to the DM, but I can see it working out either way. Right. And actually, now as we're talking about this, I also like briefly thought about like uh, Captain Yami from the series Black Clover, where they parody of the Shonen series, where they're in the middle of like a 
high stakes situation, Angel's kids would go, well, I guess it's time to surpass my limits. <laughs> <laughs> go beyond plus ultra. Wait, that's a different anime. Yep. <laughs> Same guys up. <laughs> uh, Steve's got a great uh, comment here. He says, you know, clerics might have to go to a temple to level and fighters go to some sort of training hall. So that I really like that, especially if you want to make it more integral to the to the uh, or more narrative. Right. Ooh. Or like, if you like want to like uh, have an example of like leveling up and having it like be immediate, showing the results, I can picture like a fighter being cornered, but then he like uh, takes the time to calm, collect himself, breathe out, and he's only hit level two immediately, and action surges. <laughs> See, that's really cool. You bring up a good point. So um, I know you've read it. We're both re- bring, uh, reading Rhythm of War right now from the uh, Brandon Sanderson early on in the series. Right. Um, there's a <laughs> moment where one of the main characters. Um, everything kind of just clicks for him in the middle of mm-hmm. a, a battle. And I would almost argue that that's him going from level two to level three paladin. He's now accepted his oath. And with that oath comes a burst of power. So I could think if you could find the ideal moment in the middle of combat, even then it could be really cool. Um, in that example, he's yep. surrounded by enemies and he realized this is what I want to fight for. This is the way I'm going to do it. I will protect those who cannot protect themselves and boof. Just a rush of power. So there's definitely something that can be there, uh, be done there if the if the DM and the players are totally on board with that. I'm picturing a fire, a wizard suddenly like uh, broadly grin- grinning. Oh yeah, well I know something you don't. What's that? Fireball. <laughs> um, all right, so I think that'll do it for our let's talk about blank segment. Um, uh, now we're going to move on to our main topic, the Dungeon Coaches Spell Tome Brew. Uh, once again, you can find this on our show notes uh, over at CritAcademy.com slash post slash episode 198. Uh, but before we uh, move on to our main topic, we have a product to give away. Um, Laura Smith has been so generous to constantly give us uh fat loots to give out um once again we are giving away the arcania digital tile set that and not the google doc the website (laughs) 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 the the arcania uh digital (laughs) tile set lets you make dark shadowy dungeon maps rich with fumes of arcane secrets our winner today is neil j craig Congratulations, um, Neil. Uh, if you enjoy it, please let uh, Laura Smith know. Maybe check out some of his other con- content. If you have not picked up Remarkable uh, Shops or Inns, you're missing out. Powerful resources. I'm not um, going to lie either. Uh, I got the Arcania digital set, and it's it's pretty. <laughs> it really is. It is. I, uh, I, I And it's so cool, and I've talked about it on the show before. Being able to print those bad boys out and then put them on things and just mix and match tiles at the table even with the digital set is pretty dope. So uh, if you didn't win, don't worry. Uh, yeah. You can head on over to criticademy.com slash Lorsmith and you can get a free set of digital terrain on top of this one for the winners. So check it out. Um, also some one page adventures, some other fat yeah. loots. That just means the winners get something extra, right? <laughs> <We're special>. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the tome brew, uh, Brandon, what, can you tell us a little bit about the, the, the Tome Brew cantrips for people who don't know? 
Uh, let's see here. Uh, Tombu cantrips, one of the most important and complicated parts of D&D, is the magic. This is one of the main ways a character can gain the amazing abilities they use on their epic journeys. One of the most important types of spells, especially at low levels, is the cantrip. And it's, that's especially for when, uh, uh, like I know Justin's guilty of this, where he'll run your... When, <laughs> yeah, he's smiling. You'll run your... Uh, your uh, what are they? He will run your spell slots out completely, and we'll be like, "Oh, do we get a short rest?" And he goes, "Uh, no, no, you don't get short rest." <laughs> Sorry. So you're left with what? Your cantrips. That's that's all you get. You gotta use those wisely. Uh, anybody that watches our live streams is uh, well aware of it. Our four, <laughs> my four players, like, dude, I am completely out of ammo. <laughs> Ain't that right, Therian? Yep. Although I try to be conservative. Sort of with that, but every now and then you just need to pop one off. Yeah. Uh, the Dungeon Coach believes that these do kind of get left behind as they often uh, just have a damage increase with no real evolution. In Tomebrew, he applies a new methodology to the cantrips. Uh, in this, their effects are altered by as the caster becomes more proficient in their use, allowing them to gain additional yep. benefits and features, not just an increase in damage die. And honestly, this makes so much sense to me. Um, when, when mm -hmm. I, when I see this, I'm just like, well, the, of course, a, a, a wizard at level one that casts firebolt versus a wizard at level 17 that casts firebolt. You can't tell me that while they're casting the same spell, the one that's become far more proficient can't alter, enhance it, uh, in some way, shape or form. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and he obviously found that, you know, this should be something to be included. And I think he did a really great job. Now, I do realize some people will say, oh, that's more damage than it's supposed to do. But um, since it's not just damage, I think he keeps it thematic and makes those cantrips nice and juicy even after uh, low levels are you're gone and past them. Which some of the other features you're not going to get to your high level anyway. So what doesn't matter if your cantrip does a little extra something. Um, so... Yeah. That, that being said, we're going to talk about a few of the four of the examples that are in the book. I think there's 12 total, including some special healing cantrips that he made for the warlock and the cleric. Uh, and we've also went ahead and created our own uh, two samples of our own that I think will be a little bit of fun. Uh, sure. So, Brandon, do you want to tell us about this first one? Uh, yes, uh, it's a very common one. It's Acid Splash. I love it. Uh, you hurl a bubble of acid at a 10-foot square centered on a point you choose within range. Each creature in that area must succeed on a dexterity saving throw or take 1d6 acid damage. So right there, it's that's what it already does, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. This is where it gets interesting. At higher levels, 5th level, uh, the acid lingers in the affected area until the start of your next turn. Any creature that enters the area or ends their turn in the area takes 1d6 acid damage. So that's just a straight up. That's cool. It's still there. Yeah. So it's a lingering effect, which I think is just dope as hell. Because when you think acid splash, you think it's splashing on the damn ground. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. What else has it got? That's a good point. At 11th level, the initial damage and the additional damage increases to 2d6. So now the initial attack does extra damage as well as the lingering that's kind of floating on the ground. More damage. 
I like it. And at 17th, the acid lingers in the affected area for one additional round. So this is something I can really see being used in like a hallway. Mm-hmm. And the enemy keeps coming at you, and you can use some sort of uh, like another cantrip or a spell. I don't right. know what there would be to push them back to make force them to come back to the acid again. I I like that. I can see somebody with the pushing back of the Eldritch Blast um, being a thing, or a, a barbarian grappling somebody and dragging them through the through the acid and melting their face. What do you think, Ian? I do like the ongoing effects that you basically create a hazard for enemies that you mm-hmm. can capitalize on. Yeah, and it's one of those things. I mean, unless the players capitalize on it, it's not. It's not a whole lot. It's not really that much different in damage than it was doing. And if the players don't capitalize on it or monsters, monsters can too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can see a whole hallway of wizards casting these things. <laughs> I'd imagine it apply like any other uh, hazard and not, you know, stack on itself. Uh, Let's say creatures. Yep. So if there is a monster that grapples an ally, and just drags them through it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> so I think that already we're right out the gate. We He's taken a, a ability that's otherwise just a bit of damage and has made it uh, an environmental effect, which alters the terrain, which means mo- uh, movement becomes more important in the combat. Um, Ian, do you want to tell us about the next one? The next one is Blade Ward, a entry that has an awesome name, but I don't think I've ever seen anyone actually use it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be real here. But basically, when you cast it, you gain resistance to basically any of the physical attacks against the next weapon that hits you. But with this one, I was kind of curious what the way it was worded here. At fifth level, the range increases to 30 feet instead of uh, self, I guess. So I guess that means you can put it on an ally, which that, would be helpful. That's, that's what I was taking from it. Yeah. And the 11th level, you gain resistance for the next two weapon attacks while the spell lasts, which lasts for a minute anyway. And on 17th, it becomes a bonus action. And to me, because it's actually a bonus action, that means you actually might take the time to use, use it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's be real here. I think most of the time, especially in the middle of combat, if somebody casts a even just a cantrip, it's usually going to be a damage one. So this at least gives you further opportunity to actually utilize it. I think it's nice to let you pass it on other people, too. Um, because that makes it a really great resource for buffing, uh, a, uh, a utility ability for buffing the, um, the, uh, your, your defenders or your tanks or, or, or maybe somebody that's just getting their ass whipped, (laughs) you know? Uh So, oh yeah. What do you think, Brandon? Uh, it confuses me. Well, not, not what it does specifically. I mean, that's a awesome ability to have. But it's just that the range is self, so it's for you, but what's the point of increasing it to 30? So you can cast it on other people, I would imagine. Since the range changes from self to 30 feet, you can probably target yourself or anybody within 30 feet. That has to be what it is, then. Yeah, I mean, that's what threw me off, too, so I get that. I mean, I think the only thing I would change, if you will, is I... Of a bonus action, maybe at lower levels, so to motivate you to choose the cantrip sooner. But yeah. I get they're trying to balance it out too, so and that's always a uh, like it. <laughs> yeah, I do like that. It also lets it last two two attacks instead of just one. Makes it a mm-hmm. little little bit better to a, a very good abjuration ability. So, 
What classes? Like maybe swap the 11th and 17th, but other than that. Uh, what classes? Uh, sorcerer, wizard, um, warlock, maybe? I don't I don't remember all the classes that get it, but I imagine it's something most spellcasting classes get that yeah, have cantrips. Have cantrip or a glass cannon. Yeah. But then they give up being a glass cannon, and the, thus there is the, the dilemma why why protect myself when I can just blow somebody up and wait for a healing word to get me up if I go down, <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> yep, bard, sorcerer, warlock, wizard. So, yep. So, so the dungeon coach did something really great here with this next one. Um, I don't think I've ever seen I'm... anybody actually use the friend's cantrip. Um, I have. Well, it's great. not about taking it multiple times. It's about it's, how to justify it too, so I get it. Well, and it's hard too because uh, so for the duration of one minute, you have advantage on all charisma tra- checks directed at one creature of your choice that isn't hostile towards you. When the spell ends, the creature realizes that you used its magic to influence it. That's huge, and it becomes hostile towards you. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Um, a creature prone to violence yep. might attack you. Another creature might seek retribution in other ways. Um, I can immediately see him uh, uh, reaching out to the magistrate because if you remember a long time ago when we covered the uh, laws of the land from the Dragon Heist book, one of the things that's really, really bad is enchantment magic. It's very punishing. So if a player, a player's using or a character's using a cantrip that it manipulates people and they reach out to the magistrate, you're in some deep shit. <laughs> um, just straight up some problem. Now, why I like this, because first of all, one minute, not very much. Um, at fifth level, the duration extends to 10 minutes. That's fantastic because now you've got 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Yeah. I was going to say you can get pretty far away before they realize you duped them with magic. Um, so to me, that is a great, uh, next level to this cantrip, especially at, you know, a higher level where you can put more oomph into the spell. I mean, you can cast fireball with more oomph. Why not, you know, friends, Oh my god, 11th level. Yeah, I know, right? So at 11th level, the target must succeed a charisma saving throw when the spell ends to determine if it was influenced. So now, you're getting to the point where you've mastered this enchantment to the point where they may not actually know that they were manipulated. And that, to me, is exactly how it should be at 11th level, you know, demigod strength. Just that one friend is like, ah, does he really like me? I don't know. I I, I just don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm a burden. <laughs> um, and so then what What could possibly go after this? So at 17th level, when the spell ends, the target is just unaware that they were influenced. So it automatically can't be detected. Uh, pretty much giving you uh, advantage on all charisma checks against somebody that you deem. Which, once again, I think really fits the, the theme. What do you guys think? I always thought it would be a useful championship to have. It's one I've been wanting to take, but it had so much downsides to it. I never actually did it, even if you can do a lot in one minute. Right, right. But a bit more viable. What do you think, Brandon? Well, (laughs) one of my players, before he decided to switch characters, was playing a, uh, a rogue thief, and he was trying to get information from someone, specifically a guard in Waterdeep. How did that go? Well, he used friends to uh, get the information, and he got the info. And the problem was that they were just standing there. And he was talking to his teammates and stuff. And saying, <laughs> hey, I need you to give me a deck save. He said, uh, okay. 
and he rolled like an eight or something like that. And <laughs> so you feel this great big brute force crack you on the back of the head. <laughs> oh jeez! And, and he got fined. He's like, "What was that about?" He's like, "Did you read the whole spell?" Like, uh, <laughs> no. Why? Like, uh, go back and read through it. That's so much a player thing. I didn't bother reading the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh. All right. Uh. This next cantrip and will be the last one that we will talk about that's from the uh, spell tone brew cantrips. This is a pay what you want product. So you can feel free to check it out. And if you like it, toss, you know, uh, a, f- a few uh, dollars or so at the dungeon coach for it. Um, Brandon, do you want to tell us about this uh, one that I think everyone's going to just uh, enjoy talking about? Our fourth and final cantrip is true strike. Uh, you point a finger at a target in range. Your magic grants a brief insight into the target's defenses. Before the end of your next turn, the next attack you make against the target hits it without... Re- really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it hits the target without requiring an attack roll. Yes. Holy shit. So let, let's talk about that first, right? Because that's a change to the mechanic yeah. of how True Strike works already. So the, the big argument... Yeah. The big argument is why use true strike to get advantage on your next attack when you can just attack twice. Um, Now, my personal opinion is that this ability is designed to help you overcome high AC targets, but or 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 ensure you don't waste spell slots by maybe cantri- using meta magic to boost it to a bonus action or whatever. But anyways, um or boost another attack to a uh, bonus action after true striking. But anyways, um so there's a lot of debate around how terrible this is. So you're giving up an a, a a turn to attack to automatically hit. That to me automatically <laughs> is already a better benefit and worth not taking two attacks because you can still miss with two attacks right but if you're guaranteed to get a hit off with one is that worth it i kind of feel like it should have stayed be have advantage because auto hitting i think is can be a little bit much even if it is taking a action but maybe have like instead make it a bonus action which could still be pretty or have it affect more allies sooner. Okay. Not necessarily all. But, right. Yeah. Right. What do you think, B? I just like the idea of being able to hit the target. It's like you said, uh, <laughs> if you roll twice and you have to roll, you still have a chance of missing. Right, right. Yeah, so I, I'd, rather hit, I'd rather hit once than miss twice. This is certainly one that I would like to play around with to see if this works as good as I think. Um, because it, I think it really is uh, a, a good trade-off. Though I do totally see uh, Ian's point um, and some of the concerns that he might have with it. Um, that being said, let's go ahead and move on. So, so now we talked about this ability. Uh, the range on this is thirty feet. So, what what are some of the new uh, features? You, what what are some of the higher level features, Brandon? At fifth level, it extends to uh, sixty feet, so it doubles. That's great, especially for a caster. Mm-hmm. Now, let's see. Uh, at 11th, all allies within range benefit from this spell. So, this one I have some concerns about. I don't know what that means. Does that mean that uh, everyone's, everyone's first attack yep. is auto-hit? 
Or is it just the next yep. attack from anybody automatically hits? Yeah, that should, that should be reworked. Oh, good point. I that's the way I'm taking it, um, because that's far less broken than all players automatically hitting. <laughs> so I can yeah, probably the next one then. Yeah, I can see this being used as like something a uh, a a person who wants to be a battlefield manipulator foregoing their own turn to command, you know. Hey, Thorg, I see a weakness in his left flank. And then Thorg goes and <laughs> automatically hits, right? Um, that, to me, would yep. make for a great uh, a great style play for that. Um, if it uh, – I don't – like I said, I don't think it uh, is actually everyone because then that would just be totally broken. Um, uh, it, it's got to be the, yeah. the next person to hit. Yeah, and I think that's much more balanced because now somebody's foregoing their turn to ensure somebody else is successful. Which is great if you have that like, barbarian right in front of them. Mm-hmm. I agree. Or a uh, rogue in the uh, sneaking position. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good one too. I like that. Uh, that's not the last one though. What's the next? Uh, a bit. What's the no. last one? The duration is extended to one minute. Now the durations, yeah, the duration's already one round. So was that ten rounds? Yeah, so you have up to 10 rounds to ensure you're hit. So to me, that means you now can cast this preemptively to get the jump on an enemy and ensure a strike. Assassins will love this because they just automatically hit. And I think if they auto hit, isn't it a crit or something like that? If they go first? I feel like the class of the most from this one will be the sorcerer, especially if you take the quicken meta magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I agree. It's very cool. Alrighty, so that is all the ones that are right from this uh, Spell Tome Brew cantrips. Now, we couldn't very well go through this without creating a few of our own. So I took some of my favorite cantrips um, and tried to improve upon them, I guess. I don't know, improve is a strong word, but take this same philosophy of evolution um, to them. So, uh, Ian, since you're a man of the Ray of Frost lately... Would you like to uh, tell us a little bit uh, about uh, this change we've made? Was it going to send you? To be fair, I'm only grabbed Ray of Frost because I knew we we're going to go into hell because I think it was fire. So uh, anyway, sense. Ray of Frost. What we changed the way it it worked was instead of its usual like a one d eight, we changed it to two d four, which decreased its average well i guess it increased the average but decreased how lucky you are hit max right but you still reduce the target speed by 10 feet into the start of your next turn and the as you level up when you hit level five the d4s become d6s at 11th they become d8s so it's 2d8 plus the other benefits you get as you level up at fifth instead of slowing them down by 10 feet their speed is reduced by half which is definitely way more in most cases. <laughs> right. <laughs> and right. in 11th, the, the spells blast also creates a five-foot square. The target is at the same spot as the target. Doing slippery ice. And when they move for the first t- time or start to turn there, they must roll a acrobatic save to see if they fall prone. And at 17th level, it becomes, well, two beams. So same thing. What the As fuck? a attack for each roll. So, yeah. <laughs> so, this a is lot turning, more utility to this one, which is definitely kind of nice. Th- this is making r- rough terrain turning it into rougher terrain 
and doubling it into even more rougher terrain. Well, the first yep. one doesn't really it doesn't really rough terrain. It just slows somebody down from like freezing them up a little bit. Um, but yes, the idea was to make a terrain effect. Um, what's really weird is in I used the slippery uh, slippery ice from the DMG for this. And it doesn't cause call for a save. It calls for an acrobatics check, which I thought was intriguing. Um, so, so my goal here was, okay, if you're freezing somebody with more energy, it should slow them more than 10 feet. But when I originally wrote it that way, a lot of people said, well, if you make it too much, then there's some monsters that just can't move. Um, and for balance purposes, that clearly becomes a problem, right? By being able to blast somebody with a cantrip and stop their movement entirely. Um, so for me, reducing their speed by half uh, meant faster people still go way faster. Um, and it doesn't make dwarves yeah. not be able to move. Um, the idea of leaving the icy blast is just comes right out of comic books. I was watching uh, uh, the old Batman and Mr. Freeze has that little blaster, and every time he uses it, what happens? It leaves a fucking little icicle on the ground, you know, which slippery. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to catch that. And then the other thing was, what can I do without increasing the damage too much? Um, well, I thought making it more of a utility ability by splitting it and allow you to slow two targets or focus on one and do the normal damage plus half movement. Um and then, of course, the area effect, which it gets all of these effects. Um, overall, what do you guys think? I like the idea. I think that. it's uh, neat. The, the, the two choices. You can use it as offensive or as a utility. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, glad you guys like it because I rewrote it like five times. Because every time I did it, it had too much damage if you considered with all the other stuff it did. So I had to like change the damage die so it would scale appropriately. So overall, it'll still do less damage than a normal Ray of Frost. But the trade-off is all the extra uh, um, utility. The big one was I love terrain. So leaving a leaving the blast of uh, icy just like the acid splash did was a big deal for me, um, and I really wanted to to you know get a hold of that. Uh, you wrote two books about it. <laughs> this is true. Uh, you can head on over to criticheavy.com and pick up Fantastic Terrain One, and in December fourth, Fantastic Terrain Two. <laughs> Oh, and there's a freebie. Uh, if you head on over to CritiqueMe.com, we actually have a freebie that comes with, uh, is it samples from the new one? No. Or from the old one. So if you don't want to shout out the cash for the full Fantastic Train, you can pick up the, the freebie that comes with some samples for you to drop in your game. Uh, all right. So the last one I want to talk about is Mage Hand. I love Mage Hand. Um, it, it is hands down. <laughs> hands down. One of my favorite cantrips. Even my uh, wife laughed. That's a good. That must be a really good one. She doesn't laugh at nothing I say. <laughs> um, so uh, as normal, a spectral uh, floating hand appears at a point you choose within range. The hand lasts for the duration or until you dismiss uh, it as an action. The hand vanishes if it's ever more than thirty feet away from you, or if you cast the spell again. So you can only ever have one. Um, you can then use your action to control the hand. You can use your hand to manipulate an object, open an unlocked door or a container, stow or retrieve an item with an open container, or pour contents of, out of a vial. You can also move the hand up to 30 feet each time you use it. Uh, the hand can't attack, activate items, 
or carry more than 10 pounds. Just by listening to the description, which is just how it is in the, 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 the handbook, can you imagine already what kind of restrictions I'm going to remove from this? Range, weight. <laughs> and detail. <laughs> right. So, yeah. of course, at fifth level, you have an increased range of 60 feet. And it can now lift 20 pounds instead of 10 pounds. Uh, that was obviously a matter of, I want it to be bigger. It's not quite as big as hand, but it's getting there. Um, so at that moment, it's just longer range and a little more weight. At 11th level, using your action, the hand can now activate magic items. Uh, this is one of the clear restrictions inside of the spell itself. Um, I thought, you know what, at 11th level... Who cares if the person activates the magic item or if a magical hand does? Um, mm -hmm. Of course, that isn't enough. At 17th level, using your action, the hand can now make a basic weapon attack using your spellcasting ability modifier for its attack roll and damage bonus. What do you guys think? I think that rogue tricksters are going to have fun. Ah, me too. The other thing for me that jumps out is the fact that... Really, most utility spells, such as Maze Hand, don't really change as you level up. Nope. Even, whereas the damage cantrips, they get bigger damage die. Mm -hmm. And I do think it is nice to have utility cantrips get more features similar in that regard. So I definitely like it for just from that standpoint. Yeah, I agree. What about you, B? Uh, it's like I said, it if I were to roll with this, I'd roll a uh, Trickster Rogue. Because Trickster Rogues get to have this spell, mm -hmm. but their mage hand is invisible. Yep. So now just a floating weapon coming at you. You might think it's a, uh, uh, what is it, an animated sword <laughs> chasing people around. And it's some just some <laughs> dick rogue sitting in a, a coffee shop having a drink. And he's led a few too many. <laughs> um... Overall, what do you guys think about this supplement and the whole concept in the spell Tonebrew Cantrips? I do like the overall concept of the document, and I definitely think a lot of people will get quite some use out of it. Mm -hmm. And as we were saying, I do think they add some utility to a lot of cantrips that don't really evolve, if you will you level up and this kind of modifies that yeah. so hmm? what about you b I, I like the idea of taking uh cantrips that already exist and further utilizing them into a uh, a versatile manner yep that's kind of how i feel um i really love this concept and i think i'm going to want to run with it uh, I can see myself rewriting every single cantrip. Uh, this product does not have every single cantrip in it. It's worth noting that. Um, I think no. it has like 12 maybe, um, including two special ones that he made just for his homebrew uh, for this product. Uh, these are cantrips that he uses in his home game as far as I can tell. Uh, I love this for a couple different reasons. One, I think it makes more sense that a higher level mage will be able to manipulate the most basic of spells in a more advanced way than just making it go boom more. Uh, <laughs> and as you said, Ian, the uh, the utility ones don't really change at all, really, in most cases. So um, I'm excited to, to, to tinker around with this a little bit more. If I did have some uh, 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 constructive criticism... 
I feel like uh, he has a little bit of work to do as far as clarification of mechanics and um, their verbiage. Uh, some sure. of it's some of it's a little unclear or leaves you guessing to exactly the mechanic of how it functions. I mean, I think we were able to figure it out, but I don't know that a player should have to or a DM should yeah. have to. So I would definitely recommend some adjustments in the the Watsy style uh, verbiage writing aspect of it. Uh, so yeah. Overall, I think it's a great product, and I can't wait to see where it goes. So, I think that'll do it for our main topic today: the dungeon dungeon coaches spell tomebrew cantrips. Uh, I recommend checking it out. Um, it's 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 worth it. It's a pay what you want. So, um, if you enjoy it, toss them a few bucks. Um, if not, you guess you don't have to. That's what pay what you want is. <laughs> uh, make sure to leave them a review though if right. you, you do pick it up and tell them what you like and what you don't. Help them improve it. This episode is brought to you by our generous sponsor, Cobalt Press. <laughs> Cobalt Press is the Southlands Kickstarter is now running until December twenty first, twenty twenty. Southlands campaign setting offers everything you need to have legendary adventures in a sprawling continent of wealthy desert empires demon-haunted jungles, and vast savannas where gnolls and were-lions hunt. That's right, were-lions. This project <laughs> and setting is clearly inspired by Egyptian mythology. <laughs> Can I just say that I love that it's very Egyptian-themed? Uh, yeah. Here are enough kingdoms, treasures, monsters, and adventure hooks to provide for years of gaming in the desert, jungles, and tropical mountains. Uh, use Southlands with your current Midgard campaign study, or bring it, uh, its cities, lores, creatures, and characters to any campaign, even your own homebrew. Support the Kickstarter at www.critacademy.com slash cobalt press <laughs> or just head on over to kickstarter.com and type in uh the southlands i'm that really works too. yeah this is a really uh cool product i i hope that they already been funded i think they're uh they're 300 funded so and now what you've all been waiting for our unearthed tips and tricks segment where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and dms The character concept this week is the MOP. That's the MOP. MOP. That's his name. Acronym. Yeah. Uh, Warforged Artificer, Artificer, and Unity Domain Clerk by uh, TikTok user Elias Whitelaw. <laughs> you, you're getting ideas from TikTok. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Uh, MOP's prime goal is to make everyone that he or she comes in contact with better and build communities. These classes give MOP access to mending, create food and water, uh, fabrication, creation, and healing. And that's it. The Unity Domain gives MOP the power to share the damage load among its allies with its channel divinity shared burden, much like splitting the bill at a restaurant. <laughs> MOP, MOP spends all its available downtime providing men Menial labor, potions, healing, and equipment to those who need them. All of MOP's disposable income is invested in the support of those it comes across. All of MOP's powers are used to heal the sick, feed the hungry, and rebuild damaged infrastructure. When people inquire as to why MOP is so dedicated to his, his cause, they simply respond, 
It is ingrained within me that I exist for the service of those who I belong. I belong in some capacity to everyone. MOP is an acronym for means of production. <laughs> what the oh my god, so I totally know that this is a, a, a spoof character concept. Um, yep. But the idea of somebody who just believes they belong to everyone and is doing everything in their power to help people just sounds like so much fun. Like, what are you doing in your downtime? I'm helping repair that church. What are you doing in your downtime? I'm helping repair the dam. What are you doing in your downtime? I'm rebuilding the inn, you know? It just, it sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, Obviously, once again, it's meant to be a spoof, but I think it's still entertaining. What do you guys think? I definitely like the idea of somebody who does like maintenance and support overall. Mm-hmm. That leans quite heavily into that. I'm guessing the artificial part is more for the mending. Yep. So yeah, with the fabrication and stuff, you can build everyone. But <laughs> I about lost it when he got to the channel divinity share the burden. I was like, "What are you talking about? I'm not taking all the damage. We're gonna share the suffering." <laughs> <laughs> That's actually happens in Brandon Sanderson's uh, Stormlight Archives, doesn't it? Aren't the heralds like supposed to split the the pain and suffering, um, so that they can you know hold off the the invasion or whatever, something like that. Uh, overall, theory. I think it's a fantastic concept, and it just is. Well, if you're running a lighthearted campaign, this is definitely one for the books. Uh, our mm-hmm. monster variant of the podcast is Urgurgla, the Pursuer. Huh, I wonder where I got this idea from. Not from Rhythm of War at all. Mm. (laughs) Tales of the Pursuer go back generations. A monster from the depths of hell who hunts down adventurers who stray away from the righteous path. Many say he hunts them for sports. Others say revenge. Only the Pursuer knows the truth. So the, uh, we're going to start, thank you for fixing that. (laughs) We are going to start with the origin of the... Is I think it's a demon, the Aranes, Aranes, Aranes. Um, you're gonna you're gonna take away its fly, which yes, I know is bad because they have weaker hit points and everything, but that's okay. Um, instead, you're going to give it. Uh, you're gonna now add new features of the legendary action. You're gonna give it three points. One is defensive stance. Uh, the pursuer takes a defensive stance, twirling its weapons around its body and adds a plus two to its AC against the next attack made against it before the beginning of its next turn. You're also going to give it the revenge uh, legendary action. The pursuer chooses a target within 15 feet that it has damaged uh, that has damaged it since the end of its last turn. The pursuer has advantage on the next melee attack against the target before the end of the pursuer's next turn. And then it's going to have Step Through Hell that costs two action and allows it to teleport up to 60 feet. Um, if you don't know, the Aranese, Ar- 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 let's go with that, um, is a pretty powerful demon, I think, at level uh, CR 12. Yeah. Um, it has hellish weapons that come with poison, which is great for a pursuer, right, who's hunting people trying to weaken them. Uh, and, of course, he has... Uh, longbow and uh, a long sword as well um the goal of this is to design somebody who is stalking the players or other heroes who have done a lot of murder hoboing or caused a lot of destruction uh what do you guys think 
It sounds like a pursuer for an assassin contract. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going for. Um, and the fact that he can teleport and get advantage on people uh, uh, that have struck him makes attacking him very, uh, very punishing. Yeah. But what's good is people, hopefully with some intelligence checks, the characters can figure out that there's a limit on that, that, that buff, right? In this case, it's 15 feet, so ranged attackers aren't going to trigger it. So you really got to play, it can force the players to play a little smarter, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, would you guys throw this at your players if they started to do hobo stuff or murder hobo stuff? Not hobos. I've got nothing against hobos. I could absolutely throw this at my players because they need it. <laughs> murder hobos. <laughs> That'll do it for our monster variant, the pursuer. Encounter of today is Prague's Pass. A sickness sewer plague has come into the simple mining community of Prague's Pass poisoning their wells, and blooding their crops. With the pestilence leaving the strongest of men of the town's guard a few short days away from death, the burden of descending into the mines and purging the wellspring of whatever evil has settled there falls to an intrepid band of adventurers. The players. <laughs> a character with a successful DC-15 intelligence nature medicine check can identify the nature of the disease. The cracked mines are home to a human community. Chiax, a female goblin boss, watched as the humans massacred her tribe. She was one of the few to survive the concentrated efforts to eradicate those that survived. She survived Goblin Slayer. Good job. Good on her. <laughs> she spent the last three years devoted to watching and observing the humans, preparing her revenge. Her resolve allowed her to build followers to defeat the weak ones who have stolen the mountain's inheritance of her clan. She and her minions are pouring poison in the water supply through a vein deep in the mountain. That's a nice touch. What do you guys think? I like this idea. There's so few uh, encounters that I can run with goblins and kobolds where I can think of uh, uh, hooks to get the the players to getting into it. Right. Is there anything particularly you like about this? I I like the fact that they are like poisoning the water supply from a distance away, so it's not directly obvious. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had a lot of fun uh, putting this together. I like the idea where there you can almost feel, um, you can understand why the goblin is doing what they're doing. Um, really, mm-hmm. she's just seeking revenge because people killed everything she knew and loved. Um, is what she's doing wrong? Yep. Absolutely, it's still wrong. Um, is it, you, you know... get why they're doing it. Yeah, and that makes for an interesting character development for the villain. Now, whether the players give a damn or not, that's a whole different story. But um, it, there's a method mm-hmm. to her madness. It's not just, hey, the, um, the well is being poisoned by goblins. Go take them out. If you actually ask why, you understand. Are they do they end up understanding and trying to just make a deal with her? Hey, you know what? What you did is wrong. You got your revenge. Stop doing this. We're going to clean it up. Don't show your face around here. Or do they, you know, petition the city and ask them to abandon all that they've stolen so that the, uh, Shanax can have her, her home back. 
Um, a lot to it, I think. There's a lot of angles you can go at this from, without question. Mm-hmm. I do think most people end up murder hoping yeah, pulling their way through, which I totally get as well. Yep. So that, that's that whole uh, play into the player's feelings. Yep. Again. <laughs> Moral ambiguity, bitches. <laughs> like that one time with the uh, the two goblins that we killed, and there was a little girl, and uh. I forgot his name. He he didn't give a shit. He tried to just eat her. Yeah, that was uh, Steven's character. Uh, yeah. I remember yeah. that. Uh, Andrew says, kobolds riding blink dogs can be surprisingly dangerous. I think I'm going to be happy to find that out. Maybe I'll put something together around that idea. I like that. Um, dog? <laughs> blink dog, the, you know, teleporting. Except for, you know, they're, to my understanding, they're uh, lawful good creatures yeah but you know maybe some few got a little too close to this poison <laughs> yeah uh that'll do it for our encounter of the podcast crags past um our magic item of the podcast is the gambler's chip a wondrously rare item the this coin is imbued with two forms of powerful magic both can alter one's fate for better or for worse. An all or nothing gamble of fate. When you make an attack roll or an ability check, you can use a bonus action to flip the gambler's chip instead. Or flip the gambler's chip. Instead of rolling a d20, you flip a coin. On heads, treat it as if you rolled a nat 20. On tails, treat it as if you rolled a natural 1. Once you use this feature, you cannot use it again until the next dawn. What do you guys think about this? Uh, I definitely am glad it's a yeah, once per day item for sure. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. Can be definitely. We walled off, yeah. Yeah. What do you think, B? Yeah, that that that's a big risk. How so? Oh yeah, it yeah like either I'm gonna completely utterly blow it or I'm gonna be awesome about it. Uh, like mm-hmm. just, just imagine a. Uh, you, you have your last um, fourth level spell slot, and you're gonna drop some a major attack into that that slot. And it's like, okay, if I do that crit, it's gonna do a lot of damage, and it's gonna give us the upper hand. But if I miss, I'm fucked. <laughs> I am out of ammo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I like it. I think being once a day isn't too bad. I would say in a given adventures day, adventures roll that can often roll more than one twenty um, in a given adventuring day. So I didn't think it was totally imbalanced, um, but I think it's a fun one where I can see the players coming up and having a discussion with an important noble whose help they absolutely have to have, but they only get one crack at it, and if they go all in. Because maybe it's such a high DC, it's a high DC that they know they can't get it any other way. Um, this could really create a. I feel like this could be used to create quite a bit of tension when used outside of combat. Um, yeah. So uh, it's a pretty simple one, but I thought it was uh, kind of fun. So that'll do it for our magic item, the gambler's chip. Our dungeon master tip of the podcast is storing your miniatures magnetic primer. Um, I should have put a link to that, but I didn't. I need to do that. So this actually comes from Tabletop uh, Never Stop on TikTok. 
Uh, miniatures can be stored in a plethora of different ways. Tackle boxes, on display, tossed into a large container, box, etc. Uh, each of these has their own advantages and disadvantages. Personally, me, I chuck them all in a box, and unfortunately, they break because of that sometimes. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, tabletop Never Stop suggested a new approach that I hadn't seen before. Uh, using a plastic storage container without any dividers, because, um, you know, dividers reduce space. <laughs> Uh, and can be a hassle trying to reach in and grab the minis and everything out. Before you drop your miniatures in the container, you coat the entire bottom with a magnetic primer. And once done, you can get your hands on the little, you know, magnetic tape strips and stick them to the bottom of your minis. And it'll literally hold your minis in place. So you can organize them and you can fit all the oblong. Because dividers are hard when you've got like the oblong shaped ones or the, the bigger the bigger creatures. You'd be dropping mm -hmm. them in there. Um, now you don't have to worry about that. You can organize them. They magnetically stick in his video. He actually turns the whole thing up down and shakes it a little bit and they don't even move or fall out. Um, so mm -hmm. to me, this sounded uh, amazing. Uh, and you can even go one step farther if you have a table or a, like a, a, a platform that you can put on this year and use as your grid. It can also make your board magnetic too, which I just think is awesome. What do the two of you think? That's a smart idea. I de definitely think this can be quite handy. Yeah. And anything that, and I'm sure a lot of people who has a lot of minis, and there are some DMs out there who do, will definitely find this. Um, Nice to organize. Yeah, I agree. A lot of people are crafting anyway, and this is simple to do, mm -hmm. and that anyone can do. That's the important part to me. Right, right. Right. No one likes dropping $30 on a single mini and being like, oh, okay, where's she at? Here she is. Okay, where's my succubus's wings? They got broken off. <laughs> Damn it, they broke. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I thought this was really cool. It had it was one of the, I've seen a lot of different ways toolboxes, tackle boxes, you know, all these different things. This was something I hadn't seen before, and, and is really not that expensive. And I feel like it could come with a myriad of benefits. Um, the biggest one being the fact that you could use that same paint across the tabletop and stick them to your tabletop. Uh, so uh, it's a pretty simple one, but a great tip overall. Uh, that'll do it for our dungeon master tip. The storing miniatures with magnetic primer. Uh, our player oh, yeah. tip of the podcast is don't, don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Don't, don't, don't be a dick. <laughs> uh, uh, Brandon, would you like to tell us how to avoid dickitude? You can avoid dickitude by knock, knock. <laughs> <laughs> the spell's silence <laughs> can be incredibly useful. But more so once they are combined. Using this what? Using this combination of spells allows the characters to open locked doors, chests, manacles, gates, etc., without anyone being able to hear the normally accompanied creaking, grating, or slamming, or the knock spells thunderous knock noise. This can be used to great effect by for spying and espionage, or just trying to catch the enemies on the other side of the door. Toss in the Arcane Eyes spell to scope out the area before the characters charge in. Many traps and enemies can be avoided entirely. I love this. Uh, uh, the idea that you can silent because when you use the Magic Knock spell, it makes a loud knock. And that can often give you away if there's enemies on the other side by creating an area of silence to hide that. You can hide the fact the knock unlocked it. You can hide the fact the door is creaking open. Um, a lot of, I mean, you can get 
pretty far with this in a locked building without anybody ever knowing the characters were ever inside. Uh, uh, what does the knock spell do? It unlocks locked doors, chests, manacles, gates, etc. It just it's a spell that just unlocks stuff automatically. No need for a key. Unless I'm missing something. Yeah, but it makes a big knock noise. <laughs> okay. That, so if you open the door, or if you if the door is locked and you knock it and there's guards on the other side, they're gonna know. <laughs> if they don't hear the if they don't hear the, the creaking of the door or the slamming of the latch, they're certainly gonna hear the spell. <laughs> what do you think, Ian? I definitely always love to come up with creative uses for utility spells. Mm-hmm. And this definitely fits the bill, and I definitely also think it helps the party find more stealthy ways to do things, which some people need to work harder on without question. Right. <laughs> uh, specifically, the loud knock from the knock spell can be heard 300 feet away. <laughs> oh. So, not just the guys in that room, but guys in every room are going to hear it. <laughs> Um, definitely a, a, a nice little combination of spells to really get you, uh, through the door. But, uh, tss, I uh. hate you. <laughs> well, I've missed you. <laughs> uh, it, it's a pretty straightforward trick. Definitely, uh, check it out. It takes two low level spells to do. So, um, master that arcane teaching fellas. That'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't be a dick. Um, and you can avoid dickitude by (laughs) mastering them arcane teachings, the knock knock, uh, before we close out today, we have another gift to give away compliments of Jeff Stevens, Stevens, Stevens. A masked meta terrifies the region. The adventurous stumble to her scheme, the kidnapping of a famous performer known as Devon Artis. Their mission is to deliver a ransom and collect Devon. And today's winner is James A. White, 1307. And if you didn't win, no problem. Just head to creditcammy.com slash Jeff Stevens for more free stuff and other fat loots. Got all kinds of good stuff for you. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking Cobalt Press's Deep Magic. Um, this has got to be the fattest book of spells that I've ever owned. <laughs> I feel like it's a compilation of like 10 different books to get the, this many spells, but I'm really excited to talk about that. If you don't know, our episode 200 is coming up very soon. Uh, we're, that's actually in two weeks uh, on December uh, 13th at 7 p.m. Eastern, please come join us. Uh, we're going to be doing like a build a dungeon or build an adventure with the entire uh, audience. Um, And what's cool about this is once we build it with the audience, I am going to go through and I'm actually going to write it up as an adventure that we're going to, we're going to make available. So I'm really excited for that. Brandon's going to join us. So that's exciting. Um, Cause we've, we've, we've missed you. I've missed you. Yeet. Yeet, yeet. <laughs> uh, all right. If you enjoy the show and you want to support us, please head on over to Uh Follow us on social media. Leave us a review. Please subscribe on YouTube. 
head on over to youtube.com slash C slash Crit Academy. Subscribe to us. I'm trying to hit a thousand followers before 2021. Make 2020 not suck, okay? <laughs> it's been pretty horrid. Um, <laughs> so please follow us there. We got all kinds of free loot you can pick up over at our website. Um, consider checking out our Crit Nation memberships there. Uh, Jeff Stevens has just recently started his, his own... Uh, his own podcast uh, <laughs> or streamcast, I guess. I don't, I'm not exactly sure how to call it because I think it's on, it's on Twitch. Anyways, oh. go to his website and check out his links there. I'm sure it's there. JeffStevensGames.com. Uh, all right. That'll do it. I'm your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your temporary co-host, Brandon. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Oh, God damn it. <laughs>